great song, When I Fear My Faith Will Fail. You ever been there? Praise God, He will hold us fast. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we'll be this morning. But if you've ever wondered what God is doing in your life, if you've ever wondered um, why you have to struggle as you serve Him and try to please Him and life just doesn't make sense, you're in good company because uh, that's where the Apostle Paul was at times, that's where Moses was, that's where David and Abraham and Noah and so many other greats in the faith where they struggled was in their faith. Um, we can say we believe and trust that God is sovereign, He is perfect, He is only good, but when we go through those difficult and hard times in our life, when when it seems as if he's not sovereign, when it seems as if he's not good, it's, it's, it's in those moments that our faith is tested. And I think that's where we're at in the book of Hebrews. It's, it's all a book about Jesus Christ. It's all about elevating him and knowing that he is the central place that we should center our lives around. But it's a book about faith. It's a book about in light of what I'm telling you, the writer says, what are you going to do with Jesus? Are you going to keep following him? Are you going to keep trusting him? Do you, do you still believe that he's going to hold you fast? Or in your darkest moments, are you going to turn and run? And so that's kind of where we're at this morning. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're just going to be in the first 18 verses this morning. And as we look at those first 18 verses, it's going to talk about experiencing the fullness of God. There's two, two points I have. Verses 1 to 10, God's plan to make you holy and then verses 11 to 18, God's plan is still on schedule. He knows what he's doing. He's got a good plan for your life and my life. But this is one of those sermons, I want to warn you, when you get to verse 18, we're probably going to get there a little earlier than we normally do. We're not done. We're going to go to a few other places, so don't like close up shop and say, oh, we're getting home early today. You know, it may be a little longer than normal, but we'll try to see where we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. Thank you, Lord, for the text that we have before us, the songs that we're able to sing, the amazing grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us on the cross, all that you're doing for us even today. That you want to speak to us, Lord, help us to listen, and knowing, Lord, that you will hold us fast, even when we feel like sometimes our faith will fail. You promise you'll never let us go. We thank you for it. So, Lord, teach us some great truths that you taught to the Hebrew people 2,000 years ago, but you preserved it because you knew that we would need the same message today. We thank you. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, he says this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, Make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged would have had no more conscience of sins. But in their sacrifices there is a remembrance made again every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. And so in the first four verses, he, he explains that when you go back to the Old Testament, you go back to the sacrifices and the tabernacle and all that went on with that, it, it was really an exercise in frustration. Imagine 
you know, the, 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 the priest going in day one and here's his job to, to sacrifice and goes back day two. He's like, what's my job today? He's like, sacrifice. And here he is through his entire ministry in his life. What's my job today? It's sacrifice. And after a long ministry, he might think, well, all I did is make sacrifices. And, and I'm going to leave the scene. Another priest is going to come. And there, there's no end to this. To which we would say, yeah, there is no end. Because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. So why do it then? Why did they continue to make those sacrifices? Well, because they were being obedient to God. Because God said, one day I'm going to send the Messiah who will take care of sin. Till then, this is how I want you to approach me. And so out of obedience, the priest did that. Out of obedience, the worshipers would come and they would sacrifice. But again, he says there, they could never, verse 1, they could never take away our sins. And so in the Old Testament, nobody was ever saved because of the animal sacrifices. They were never saved because they made an animal sacrifice. That was an act of obedience because of the faith that they had that a Messiah would come and do away with sin one day. They didn't know all the details. They just knew this. They had this promise from the Garden of Eden. When God said, Adam, what you did in covering yourselves with fig leaves was not enough. Temporarily, I'm going to allow you to cover yourself with animal skins, but I have to kill an animal. But this animal can't take away your sin, Adam. So don't believe it can, but one day a Messiah will come, and he will finally deal with your sin. So Adam and Eve taught that to their children, their children, their children for generations, and then eventually God sends Abraham, and he sends Moses, and he makes it more clear and more detailed and more specific. And sadly, some of the people are thinking, well, I'm just going to go back to that. Because it's tangible. I can see it. I can understand it. And the writer is reminding them, listen, those sacrifices can never save you. And if you continue to do that, it's, an, it's just an exercise in frustration. But look at verse 5. He says this, Wherefore, when he saith, when he cometh into the world, this is the Messiah, when the Messiah came into the world, he saith, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And now here, this is Jesus quoting Psalm 40, which is a messianic psalm pointing to the one who would come as the Messiah. So this is Jesus quoting that. Verse 6, he said, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Jesus says, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he saith, sacrifices and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, second time, Lo, I come. To do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So again, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It never was intended to do that. The Old Testament law was never intended to show people how they could become righteous. You can't keep the law. 
It was there to show us that we're sinners, that we need a Messiah, that we need a Savior. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do. But when he came, when Jesus Christ came, notice he said, I didn't say, as he's quoting Psalm 40, I didn't say I came to make more sacrifices. He was the high priest. He didn't come to make more sacrifices over and over and over again. He came to make, to make one sacrifice. Once for all. And he said this, verse 7, notice the end of the verse there. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. God the Son, Jesus Christ, looking up to heaven. And he said, I'm here to do your will. Look at verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will. So when Jesus Christ came, he came for the purpose, the express purpose, of doing the will of his Father. Remember the garden? As he's praying, Lord, if there's any other way, because I know what this is going to cost me. I know that when I bear the sin of Ron Whitehead, it is going to be an enormous burden to be separated from God the Father to pay for his sins and pay for your sins and the entire world. He knew what that was going to cost him. And he said, Father, is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there was no other way. He knew there was no other way. But he shared that with us. He shared what was in his heart because he knew the pain and the agony of the cross for my sin and for your sin. And so when Jesus came, he came not to do an exercise in frustration like the Old Testament priest, but an exercise in obedience. And why did he do all of that? Well, look at verse 10. By the which will, by what he did, by what Christ sacrificed for us, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So by his obedience, 2 Corinthians 5.21, by one man's obedience, we become righteous. And not just because of what he did, but we had to do something with that. We have to, by faith, place our faith in Christ alone. But if we've done that, if we've turned from our sin and placed our faith in Christ alone, God says that his obedience allowed me to be sanctified. That word sanctified literally means holy. To be set apart from sin. And so the moment I was saved, the moment I recognized I was a sinner, turned my faith to Christ alone, I became holy in two ways. Positionally, I became holy and nothing could ever change that. I, I was set apart to God. John reminds me that I'm in the Father's hand, I'm in Jesus' hand, and his hand is in the Father's hand, and he says this, and no man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of my trusting in him, I'm in the Father's hand, and I am positionally holy. Nothing can change that. I can never be lost again. I have the guarantee the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He's my down payment. I am a child of God forevermore. And so positionally, I'm sanctified. And if you're saved, you're positionally sanctified. First John reminds me, 
I have the confidence of heaven when I die. But there's another aspect of holiness too. This is the one we struggle with. It's practical holiness. The moment I was saved, I was saved and practically I became set apart to God. Set apart from sin. And that didn't last too long, right? That lasted until the next time I chose to sin. And, and there's that battle of, of am I going to please God or am I going to please self? And it's a battle like a ping pong ball. Shouldn't be like that, right? I should wholly have a desire to please Him. Because my desire should be like Jesus' desire. I'm here to do your will. Sometimes we take our eyes off that, right? Which is why we were, we've been talking in Colossians 3 this morning in Sunday school. Set your mind on things above. When I don't set my mind on things above and I get my mind focused only on the earth, on only what is good for me, how it's going to affect me, not just today, but planning for the future. If I'm only concerned about me and I don't really care about what God wants, it changes the way I make decisions in life. So I need to be concerned about today, tomorrow, next month, and then 10, 15 years down the road. I need to plan, right? We need to think through those things. But in all of our thinking and planning and living and working and family life and all that goes on with that, I need to make sure that I'm being obedient to God in all of my decisions. Think about the thousands and thousands of decisions we make every year. In those decisions, I need to be saying my ultimate goal is not my will, but his be done. And so when he came to save me, he came to save me for that purpose. John 17, 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer, he prayed to his father and he said this, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the best way that I can become sanctified is spend time in this book. Get to know the heart of God. Get to know who He is. God wants me to learn more and more about Jesus Christ and His plan for my life. And if I don't know this book, I'm not going to know really what that is. And He wants me to spend time knowing Him through His Word. 1 Peter 1, verse 16, God reminds me, be holy as He is holy. Be set apart from sin. Mind, heart, in the actions and all that we do, I need to focus on being a holy Christian. And so God has saved me so that I could be holy positionally but practically as well. Now here's what that does not mean. That does not mean that if I want to be holy that means I have to throw away my TV, I have to dress like the Amish and I have to read my Bible for three hours a day. And, and there are some segments of Christianity that they teach us that that's what we have to do. We have to, we have to continually conform to something totally different from everything else. And if I'm conforming to what other people look like, because that's what other people say holiness looks like, I'm not necessarily, doesn't mean I'm not, but I'm not necessarily conforming to Christ. So we've got to be careful with that, right? Because not every Amish person is walking with God just because they give up the things of this world, right? In fact, sadly, many of the Amish believe that you get saved by works, not by faith in Christ alone. So what good would it to do is to live an ascetic lifestyle here on this planet and die and go to hell? 
There's nothing worse than that. To think that's where the Pharisees were. Now, they weren't dressing like the Amish. They were dressing like what righteous people should have looked like in that day, which is a farce because their hearts were far from God. So then we've got to be very careful that we don't say, well, holiness looks like this if we're not following what the Bible says. Because this is my standard for holiness. Looking like, acting like, thinking like Christ in the year 2023. Which is probably a little different look in some respects than it was when they wrote to the Hebrews here in around AD 60 or so. If we were to bring them here, they might look at us and say, well, that's totally different than what we did. But the heart should have been the same. A heart's desire to please God, to live for Him, to do His will. And I hope that's our thought every day. Lord, I, I want to I make good decisions. I want to make wise decisions. I want to please You. And so when we have to make a choice... And it's either this or this, and both of them seem good. Hopefully our desire is, but Lord, I just help me to make the one that most pleases you. Again, if it's good and evil, we know what that is. And we should say, I'm going to choose to do good, not evil. But we should even get to the point where we say, God, I don't want to just do good. I want to do what's best. I want to do what you would want me to do. I want to seek and follow your plan and not my own plan. And so true holiness is not found in the outward appearance. It's found in the heart, right? But when he gets my heart, as I've said over and over again, he gets my outward man too. So we have to understand that God's plan is to make me holy. Look at verse number 11. He reminds us here his plan is still on schedule. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So God's plan, to make me holy, his plan is still on schedule. He, he's, every day he is seeking to make me holy. Again, positionally, he can't improve on that, right? It's positionally, that's a done deal. He knows I've already been glorified in his mind. He already sees that as an eternal present. He knows I'm going to be with him forevermore. But for the remaining time you and I have on this planet left, and for some it's longer than others, we don't know how long it is, what's his goal? Every day he's seeking to make you and me holy. And he puts things in my life, sometimes they're things that we like, sometimes they're things we don't like. But we've also got an enemy, don't we? And every day he is seeking to make you unholy. 
He wants you to lose your testimony. He wants you to do things that are not pleasing to him. To, to live in such a way that God would not be happy with you. And so we've got this battle going on. And where's that? Again, it's in our heart. It's in our minds. Regularly. It's in front of us. We see things. We're tempted by people. People say things to annoy us. To, and again, it's not always people, right? What did Paul say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're like, you don't know my boss. It doesn't matter. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is doing his best to get you to do contrary to the will of God. And the Holy Spirit is constantly battling in your heart and whispering to you, I want you to do the will of God. He's desiring to make me holy. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. The Ten Commandments couldn't do it. What can make me holy? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? We sing that song. And he reminds us here that his goal, his plan is still on schedule. So Satan's, but Jesus is on schedule. He said this, this one man, again, you ever witnessing somebody? Hebrews 10 is one of the greatest passages to go to. It reminds us, one sacrifice, four sins, forever. What did he do? Verse 12. By this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And what's he doing? From henceforth, from the time of the cross, he is expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. I thought that happened at the cross. I thought Satan was defeated. I thought he is his footstool. He is. Satan knows he's been defeated. Now he's doing his best thinking. He's fighting from a position of power. And maybe I can, But he knows. He's read the scriptures. He knows how it ends. But he's still pernicious and he's still trying to get you to stop obeying God. And one day, Christ will return. One day God is going to set up the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal future, and one day he is going to banish Satan, sin, and hell to the lake of fire forever and ever. That's the future. That's already happened in the sense of it's a done deal at the cross. But Jesus is waiting for that day when it's going to be completed, when everything will be done, when sin will be gone. And we might say, why can't that happen today? Why doesn't he just... Set it up today. Anybody here have some loved ones who don't know Christ yet? I'm thankful he's delaying, aren't you? Because it gives us opportunity to tell others so that more people can come to know Christ as their Savior. And so he's delaying for his plan, for his purpose, but his plan is still on schedule. He knows exactly when that's going to be. And we don't know if that's going to start in the next week, month, year, or next hundred years. We don't know. But his plan is on schedule. He knows what he's doing, not only in my life, but in the life of the world. And he says this in verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. And again, quoting Jeremiah 31, the New Testament, the new covenant. What was his plan for me, for you? Well, I'm going to put verse 16 my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. 
because I am positionally a child of God, because I'm positionally saved, God has written His laws on my heart. So that even if I'm confronted with a choice, and I'm not sure what to do, and I'm not sure whether I should go this way or that way, and sometimes I'm not even sure whether the Bible says I'm not supposed to make this choice. I don't know. I've seen other Christians do that. Is it right? Is it wrong? I'm not even sure to do that. He has told me, and I'm not comfortable doing that. And we can say that's where I'm at. Because my goal is, I think this is God's will for me, and I just want to please Him. And hopefully that's the way we live our lives. I want to please my Father which is in Heaven. And, and that, there's nothing greater, because when we do that, we're mimicking what Jesus did. Because he said, I came to do my Father's will. And that's what I should be here for, to do my Father's will, whatever that is. And for the most part, it's written here. And the part that's not written here, guess what? He's written it here. He's written it here. And when it's not there, he's given me the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, who can give me enough insight and wisdom to make wise decisions with my life. Do you have any decision you've made that you look back and you say, man, I wish I could go do that again? And we all do that, and we still do that. Which is why we need to constantly say, God, every day, help me, help me to think your thoughts. Help me to make wise choices, wise decisions, so that I don't go in the wrong direction. Go to Galatians chapter 5. So, I told you we're done early, but we want to look at three specific passages that kind of fill in the gaps in what he is saying there in Hebrews chapter 10. Galatians chapter 5. Verse number 16. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, he says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And if you do that, he says, you're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the things that your old man still wants to do, even though you're a child of God. We still sometimes are tempted to do things that we know are not what would please God. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not in the law. And then in verses 19 through 21, he says, let me tell you what the, the works of the flesh look like. If you're going to follow your old man, your old nature, the flesh, this is, if you follow it to the nth degree, this is what's going to happen. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. I could go on and on and on, Paul says. Of the which I've told you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So he says that's what the unsaved man looks like. Why? Because he walks according to the flesh. And, and some of those things we look at and we say, well, some of those things are I've done, I've envied. I've had wrath, strife. I fight with people from time to time. I, you, you say, I've never killed anybody, though. Killings, and I've never done that. What did Jesus say? You ever thought? Hatred? 
as an account that way. So again, even positionally sanctified believers can do some of the works of the flesh. Why? We just unplug from the Holy Spirit and we just do it our, our own way. Verse 22 says, listen, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what should characterize your life regularly. If your desire is to please God every day, if you're setting your mind on the things above, if you're seeking to please God, your life should be marked by love, joy, peace, being patient with people, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That should be the normal, the normal Christian life. You should be known for love, joy, peace, long-suffering, every day of your life. That should just be, that should just flow out of you. Why? Because if you're living according to the Spirit, if you're walking according to the Spirit, not just, all right, it's Sunday, today I walk according to the Spirit, and hopefully that will get me through the rest of the week. And that's not going to get you through till dinner. You need, to, you need to make sure that your mind is focused on God constantly. It doesn't take too long to get out in the parking lot and start driving down the road before what? The flesh and Satan start to whisper lies to you. Or you see somebody who's driving in a no-passing zone, doing 15 miles below the speed limit, and there's no possible way you can pass them for 10 miles. And your spirit is not saying, this is great, I have more time to worship God in this car, right? We're not thinking that. We start to think evil. You do, I've never done. No, we all do that, right? It doesn't matter how spiritual you want to think that you are, it doesn't take long for the, for the wisdom of Satan to get your mind off of the things of God. And to start thinking ungodly thoughts toward other people who may be having car trouble and they're, even, they're not doing it to annoy you. Sometimes we think, I know that people are just out to annoy us. People aren't. Satan is. Some people are. Most people aren't. Satan is. Go if you would to first, Second Peter where we read earlier, Second Peter chapter 1 great passage that Peter writes to the believers there in his day some of the same things that Paul was saying to the church at Galatia verse 3 according as his divine power have given unto us how many things? all things that pertain to life and godliness so there's not one Christian life that can say listen I don't have all that the Apostle Paul had. If I had all the Apostle Paul had, I'd be just as spiritual. You know what Peter said? You have everything the Apostle Paul had. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. By the way, you and I have more than Abraham had. More than David had. More than Moses had. You know what? We have the entire Word of God completed for us. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's given you and me everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Wherefore are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature. We've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So he said, beside all of that, give all diligence. Work hard at adding to your faith. 
virtue. And the virtue add knowledge, and the knowledge add temperance, and the temperance add patience, and the patience add godliness, and the godliness add brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness add charity. Why? Because if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, if you continue to grow spiritually, you have, you have all the Holy Spirit you can ever get. We have the completed Word of God. You can't get any more of the Word of God. But I can put into practice what the Word of God says. I can spend more time listening to the Holy Spirit than I listen to the voices around me. I can obey God and stop obeying me. And if I do that, I will grow spiritually. And I will produce fruit in my life. I don't produce it. I just tap into the true vine, Jesus Christ. And what happens? Fruit abounds. And when you if, you, if you were to go to an apple tree, and you were like, man, I want, I want to have these apples growing, and you cut off a limb, and you take that limb home, put it on your kitchen table, it's not going to keep producing apples. Why? Because it's not tapped into the vine. It's now dying. And so too, when I'm not constantly tapped into the Spirit of God, I'm not producing fruit, I'm producing the works of the flesh, which is not good. One more, Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Paul writes to the church at Colossae here, Colossians 3, verse number 5. We were in Sunday school talking about if, you, if you're with Christ... Set your mind on things above. Verse 5. The flip side of that. Mortify. Put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which... You also walked in sometimes when you lived in them, but now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. By filthy communication, I don't think he means there's really bad curse words. I think it's anything that comes out of our mouth that does not please God. As we communicate with one another. Anger. Well, God says be angry. He does. And sin not. There's a time to be angry. But most of our anger is not righteous indignation. Wrath, malice, blasphemy. God says... This is not part of the Christian life that wants to be obedient to God. This is the Christian life who wants to know that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm going to act a certain way now because this is how everybody else lives. To which God would say, you're not everybody else. You're my prized possession. You're the light that's to shine in the darkness. You're to be different. You're to be set apart. I know what the world does. I see their works. But as a child of God, I want you to be different. I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. To which we would say, but God, 
When are you going to set it all straight? And Jesus says, I've been waiting 2,000 years now. I know when it is. I know the perfect time. And it's not yet. So till then, you say faithful. You still continue to do my will. Act like Jesus. Who said, this will be so much easier. But I don't want to do easy. I want to do your will. So help me every day, Lord, to do your will. To please you. To faithfully walk with you. Because there's no other, there's no other choice. There's no other option. Other than living according to the flesh. And we all know what that looks like. We do that from time to time. And it's always ugly. And after we're done, we always have to go back and say to people, I'm sorry, I, was, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have acted that way, I blew it, I messed up. Please forgive me. We don't like doing that. The best thing we can do, God says, is to live not only positionally holy, but practically holy. Be obedient to God, serve Him, be faithful to Him, he lives inside of you. He's given you his completed word. He tells us, he encourages us, he gives us one another to get counsel and encouragement from. But as you leave here, you've got an enemy that's waiting for you. He's going to whisper to you lies. He's going to tell you, I know what the pastor said today, but listen, when you go to work this week and so-and-so says this to you, you need to... And we're going to battle, right? We battle against sin and flesh and wickedness. And God wants us to glorify him every day in all things. He did so much for us. As we sang earlier, Jesus, thank you. Let's remember, he will continue to help us through our difficult days to make us 